You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. that we're back another edition of the late kick extra podcast tuesday morning october 26th the year of our lord 2021 happy to be back in the extra format i know we had to take a little break last week we had to give you a round table we only do those like what twice a year i think we've done so far this year but i got your feedback i heard it loud and clear some of you wanted the extra some of you needed the extra and some of you got a little militant because you didn't get the extra last week but i know that it's all in good fun, it's out of love, so here we are, we're back. What is the extra, by the way? What does all this mean? What is this terminology? Well, it's really easy. I know it's got to be easy because I came up with it. In this very podcast feed, you get all the replays of Late Kick Live, which we do on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel every Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night. So naturally, you get it Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning here. But because this podcast feed is special and because it's taken off and because as recently as last week we were top 10 in the world in football pods, we do something extra here that only we get to hear. We don't put it on YouTube. We don't put it anywhere else. And it is the Late Kick Extra podcast. Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, it's all mailbag. It's answering your questions via DM at Late Kick Josh on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, and also a little storytelling here and there. And I got some good ones for you this morning. And that's the way this works. And if I sound a little bit wired, well, I am, because, I mean, I just downed a whole can full of caffeine. But also, the Braves are in the World Series tonight. I don't think you guys quite realize what this means to me. And it's not a baseball podcast, so I'm not going to bore you with all those details. But I'm just, to give you a little idea of my childhood, I was such a big Braves fan growing up that in the summer when I was out of school, I would record the games at night. It was still on TBS back then. I would record the games watch them live as I record them, and then watch them again the next morning. So I would watch 18 innings on average of every Braves game. So yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Because when they were in the playoffs every year, but not winning the World Series quite enough in the latter portion of the Bobby Cox era, I was there every playoff game. And I was there in 04 when they got eliminated by Houston. And I was there in 05 when they got eliminated by Houston. And it disgusts me. I do not like the Houston Astros. Never have organization's never done a thing for me. God bless Houston. Great city. Just not a big fan of your baseball team. So I'm distracted but focused because we got a big week of college football coming up. We are headed to East Lansing, Michigan this Saturday. I've never been there before. And here's what happens when we're taking the Renaissance Tour to a town we've never been before. We get flooded. And by we, I really mean my inbox. I get flooded with people saying everything from just, I'm excited that you guys are coming here, to here's what you need to do, to here's a list of all the places you need to check out. I had so many folks put together like a dossier of information for me on everything from East Lansing to the bar scene, even though you guys know by now I don't drink, but I still appreciate the effort, to the restaurant scene, and I absolutely do partake in food, possibly even addicted to food. So I am actually working out those details with Michigan State this morning as I'm recording. Yes, I irresponsibly waited to morning again. And uh, the only thing I don't know is what time I'm going to get up there. Uh, probably sometime Friday. I just don't know what time. Got a few obligations to take care of here. But man, I'm looking forward to that. And the one thing that some of you have complained about that you know I love, the noon kickoff, the 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff, because it is such a blessing to be able to be at the biggest game in the country 
and then be on a plane by sundown and be working on next night's show and then be in your own bed that night. That doesn't happen very often because most of the games I go to are primetime kickoffs. So it is a luxury when we do get that. Thank you, Big Noon Kickoff. Thank you to our friends at Fox. And thank you to our friends at Michigan State. And I haven't even been to the game yet, but I was talking to them this morning. You know they're going to have two pregame shows, obviously, up there. They're going to have the Fox pregame and the ESPN College Game Day. And both of those sets are going to shift. A little inside information for you here. Both of those sets are going to shift to in-stadium the hour before kickoff, uh, which I've never seen before. I've been at these games every week. I've never seen both of those shows emanate from the same location, and I've really never seen both of them on a field at the same time. That's like NFL Super Bowl type stuff. So, yeah, there you go, East Lansing. Uh, Super Bowl atmosphere for Michigan, Michigan State. And meanwhile, I'm over there humbly trying to just get our pregame live hits for CBS Sports HQ out of the way. But it is a task we are prepared for. So let's kick off the mailbag this morning. Jesse wanted to know, not Jesse, not producer Jesse from Connecticut. Apparently there are at least two of these folks in the world. Another Jesse, a Jesse from Parts Unknown, wanted to know about Ed Orgeron. And he wanted to know, well, I'll just read it because it's right in front of me. So Jesse's words better than mine. Jesse said, Will the way Ed Orgeron's tenure at LSU came to a close taint the 2019 National Championship win? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, the way it ended is irrelevant. Unless he went out in just a flame of scandal, which he didn't. Now, I know there's been some off-the-field stuff, and I know there's an investigation going on. And that's that's aside, because we don't know how that ends. But the only real scandal, as far as we know was bad football. And yeah, that's a scandal for a fan, but once it's over, it's over. There is no lingering effect. So Ed Orgeron, they could have lost to Florida, I mean, which would have been worse. They could have lost some of these other close games they won. My point is, no matter how bad it got on the field, if those were the reasons Ed Orgeron got fired, or at least those were the contributing reasons to Ed Orgeron being fired, no. Once it's done, it's done. So Ed Orgeron's done now at LSU. That does not at all take away from 2019. In fact, what I was going to say is, now that it's done, and now that he's out of the picture, at least at the end of the year, he'll be out of the picture, now you don't have to worry about how much this is tainting anything anymore. Now you can just separate and compartmentalize, and you can look at him, and you can say, all right, there's Ed Orgeron. He is not good enough to lead our program anymore, but... He also led the greatest season in the history of our program. And I think you can do both of those. I'll tell you, I mean, I've obviously never been divorced, but I know plenty of people who have been divorced, and some of them amicably, and some of them get along fine. Now, again, for someone like me who's never been in that position, that is really hard for me to grasp. That's a hard concept for me to grasp, that you could have been with someone in marriage for over a decade. You know, I'm thinking of one couple I know in particular who was married for over a decade. They got divorced. I think it was like 13 or 14 year marriage. They got divorced and they're friends today. I mean, they're like genuinely friends today. So again, that kind of blows my mind, probably blows a lot of your minds. Maybe some of you listening have been divorced and you cannot stand your former significant other. And so maybe even those of you, some of whom who have been divorced are blown away by this concept. My point is it does happen. And so if I were to ask that couple, they do not know I'm talking about them this morning, so let's keep it on the hush. But if I were to ask them, you know, how do you do this? How are you doing this? Isn't divorce supposed to be predicated on the fact that you can't stand each other anymore? And I would imagine, again, I have not reached out for official comment, but I would imagine they would say something along the lines of, no, it's predicated on the fact that we could not sustain our relationship as it was currently defined. 
but now we can be friends, no problem. We weren't married friends. We were married partners. We can't be partners anymore, but we can still be friends. And I, listen, I don't know if that's what they'd say. That's what I imagine they'd say, but I do know this. If we get, let's say, five years down the road and all of this is behind us, the Orgeron era is in the past, and you can doubly especially take this to the bank if LSU ends up being successful again. If the coach that comes after Orgeron is a grand slam and they end up winning again, this era, if it ends up being scandal-free, and we're five years removed in this analogy, so we know whether it's scandal-free or not. If they're scandal-free, they didn't get hit by any kind of huge off-field sanctions, and the next coach is successful, that means there's no lingering effect. There's no Orgeron after effect. If that's the way it works out, here's how it will look. Ed Orgeron will come back around the program periodically, and he will be celebrated, and he will be revered. And all they'll remember is 2019. And as time goes on, and history makes 2020 and 2021 a distant memory, he will not be known as Ed Orgeron, the guy who let the program get out of control in the subsequent years. He will be known as, there's Ed Orgeron, that guy had a short run, but man, what a shooting star he was in 2019, and what a season we had in 2019. And for those of you who weren't around, let me tell you about what this guy did with someone named Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. Let me tell you what that team did under his leadership, and let me tell you what the culture was like around here. Let me tell you what the mood nationally was like towards LSU football. It was in a way it has never been before, and who knows? We're five years down the road. We're 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Maybe it hasn't been that way again since. But no, Jesse, to answer your question, I don't think it taints it at all. The only thing that can screw this up is if they end up getting hit with some form of sanctions that are a result of the Orgeron looseness and of the way that that program was operating under Ed Orgeron's watch. If that happens, then that changes the dynamic. But we don't know that that's going to happen. We have no way of knowing that. So if it doesn't, I think Ed Orgeron's legacy will be fine. In fact, I think it'll be better 10 years down the road than it is right now. Kevin is next up. A very intimate question here from Kevin. A very personal question from Kevin. But as I always say, and as Meemaw told me back in the day, if you can't air your personal secrets on a worldwide podcast, then where can you air your personal secrets at? So let's talk, Kevin. Kevin said, I was at the Tennessee-Bama game. Good to see you there. But I've just got to know, what were you talking to that cop about for so long down in the end zone? There's some pause. Jordan, don't edit that out. I just wanted to let it sizzle for a second because that's one of those questions that makes me sound, if we're being real with ourselves, a little bit cooler than I actually am. So yeah, I was hanging out with the cops. Yeah, we had some things to talk about. It was some things that are on a need-to-know basis. And Kevin, you don't need to... I'm not going to tell you that. That would be mean. But, but it is kind of true that some things were discussed between law enforcement and myself that cannot be shared on the pod. However, some things were discussed that can be shared on the pod. As I told you guys as recently as last week, remember when I was at the Ole Miss-Tennessee game, I told you one of the tricks of the trade Always get to know security. Always get to know the law enforcement officers working the game. I also got to tell you, little side note here, almost forgot to give her a shout out. Danielle with the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department was our personal escort outside the stadium when we were doing live shots. And she said the same thing you're thinking right now. She said, why am I escorting you? What am I about to do if someone attacks you? Um, well, not the worst point in the world. It's a question I didn't have the answer for, but... Nevertheless, very, very lovely from Worcester, Mass. Danielle with the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department. And so uh, we go back inside and I'm talking to my guy down in the corner there. And he was regaling me. Rarely used word, but he was regaling me 
with stories about what they've dealt with at live games. He works a lot of Bama games, what they've dealt with at games before. And as I suspected, the night games are always far less preferred to the early afternoon or noon kickoffs for obvious reasons. And so I was telling him back in 2019, I covered the Alabama LSU game there and the president was there. Here's the part where I stop and say, I couldn't. And I mean, couldn't. And I mean, all caps could not possibly care any less than I do right now. What you think about any president at any time. Don't care, don't care, don't care. One of the dumbest things in the world is when people start to tell a story that includes a politician and they feel the need to preface it with, no, I don't agree with everything he or she does. No, I'm not saying that because that's stupid. I'm going to tell you a story that happens to involve a president and we're going to go with it. So I'm there at Bama LSU 2019, biggest game of the weekend, biggest game of the year. This is Joe Burrow. This is LSU en route to a national championship. So they come into Bryant-Denny Stadium. President's there. I'm there. Secret Service is there. Now that day I kicked it up into overdrive because I wasn't even talking to normal cops. I was talking to Secret Service agents and they wouldn't tell me all the stories they had, but I knew that they had them. So I just wanted to get as much as I could out of them. Anyway, the way they do these events is they tell you if they know a president's going to be there ahead of time, you need to get there early and then you need to be seated because we are going to have a complete ground stoppage when the motorcade is approaching the venue. And that's exactly what happened. So they have everyone in the seats. I mean, it was the most surreal thing. Bama and LSU were warming up an hour before kickoff. Stadium's already completely full. So they don't let you actually know when a president is arriving. But the way you can tell is they have a complete ground stoppage on the entire venue. No one can move anywhere while they're moving him in wherever they're coming in. And so uh, I was watching a tunnel not the one that they brought him in down, but I was watching a tunnel that got shut down because it was one of the possible access points. They have multiple possible access points. They do the old coin flip to decide which one they're going to use. Well, this one kid who's already totally plastered decides that he doesn't want to wait. And so he just moves on about his business. And then he starts moving towards one of those access points and Secret Service takes that kid and uh, not so lovingly escort him via the neck around a corner, and I don't really know what happened to that kid, to be honest with you. If you check the records at the University of Alabama, he may not exist anymore. I don't know what happened to him, but I was telling him that story, and then Saturday night, he told me like 15 better stories. So, Kevin, that's what I was talking to him about. Michael is up next. Michael said, for all the talk about the Renaissance season early in the year, and I believed in it just like you did, does it seem to you like we're settling into the same old, same old, where the most likely teams are going to end up being the ones that make the playoff like they do every year? And then he goes on to paint out all the scenarios and whatnot where Bama, Georgia, one of the two, maybe both, Ohio State, Oklahoma, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, Michael, I would say this. There is a possibility that's how it shakes out. I think there's an equal to or greater possibility it doesn't shake out that way. For all of you out there, and I know there are a lot of you because I've seen a number of questions phrased like this, for those of you who are worried that we're just settling in to one of those perennial inevitabilities of the same old, same old at the top, I wouldn't be so quick to assume. Let me lay something out for you. I'm going to lay a few things out and just understand as I'm laying these scenarios out, all of these have to happen in order for you to get your biggest fear. Now, some of you aren't scared of this. I'm talking about if you want something different in the playoff, your biggest fear will only come true if all of these things happen at once. And you ask yourself, as I'm going down this list, how likely is it that all of these things happen? First thing that would have to happen, 
Alabama has got to go into Auburn and win, and then they've got to beat Georgia in Atlanta. Now, Alabama has been at their most vulnerable in the two toughest road trips they've made. They went to Florida. They almost lost against Florida. They went to Texas A&M. They did lose there. And they got to go to Auburn. And I'm telling you, I've been there many a time. If any of you have ever been to Auburn for the Iron Bowl, that's the toughest place Alabama plays. I think it's tougher for them to play there than it is for them to play at LSU. It's just a nightmare. Even when they're good and Auburn's not good, they don't blow Auburn out there. They never do. So you got that. And then they got to go to Atlanta and they got to beat Georgia, a Georgia team that will, I guess we would say in all likelihood, be undefeated, but we'll see. But in all likelihood, Georgia would be undefeated. But they've, I believe, got to win both of those games. I don't think Bama can afford to lose another game. That's what I'm telling you. Okay, so let's say that happens. Next up, you'd have Ohio State. The best team Ohio State played so far this year, they got beat by. That was Oregon. Now, I think we can all agree Ohio State as a team has turned a significant page since then. And I'm not suggesting otherwise. But what I am telling you is, I would argue the next one, two, three, four, maybe the next five toughest teams that Ohio State will have played after Oregon are all still left on their schedule. Now, none of these independently you think pose a threat. I'm telling you collectively, this will not be the easiest stretch in the world. They got a Penn State team this Saturday night in pure desperation mode. They go to Nebraska after that. They've got Purdue at home after that. They go Michigan State, and then they go at Michigan. And that's all in a row. That's no bye week. Then they got the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State also cannot afford a loss. They have no more wiggle room. What about Oklahoma? Well, Oklahoma, they're in a unique position because they're undefeated. But I don't know if they can afford a loss quite like everyone else, and I'll tell you why. So first off, let's think about this. Oklahoma undefeated so far, but they've had several close wins. Keep that in mind. So they got Texas Tech this Saturday. Then they got the bye week. They will finish up the regular season at Baylor, at home versus Iowa State, and at Oklahoma State. What I want you to remember there is those are probably the three best defensive coordinators they'll play all year, and they play them consecutively to end the year. And that's a true freshman quarterback now in Caleb Williams. Very good one, but a true freshman quarterback with film out and several weeks for those defensive coordinators to get ready. And they've got all that, and they've got a Big 12 championship game if they get through that. And you'd probably, I don't know, you may play Oklahoma State, you may play Iowa State. I don't know how that would shake out. But the reason I'm telling you they may not have as much wiggle room, depending on how the rest of it shakes out, is because with Oklahoma, as long as they're undefeated, they're good. But the, the, whole, the whole picture, I don't want to say narrative, so the whole picture on Oklahoma will change radically. You watch what I tell you, if they lose a game, all of a sudden they'll go from undefeated shoe-in to lose one game, and it won't just be a loss. It'll be a loss and people saying, yeah, they lost a game and they barely beat Tulane. And they barely beat Kansas. Like, this could be a three or four loss team. That's what it'll sound like. I'm telling you, because of how they've played so far this year, they will not be viewed the same as a one-loss Bama or a one-loss Ohio State. If Oklahoma loses a game, they are in danger, depending on how the rest of the top four looks, of being left out because of one loss. Okay, so think about just those three. We can stop there. Clemson's not in this. They normally are. Georgia, I don't consider in this category. Because Georgia's only made the playoff once. And so Georgia, and they've never won a national championship in the modern era. So Georgia, I think, is new blood. I don't even think they qualify. Just because they're a big SEC team, I don't think they qualify the same way Alabama does. So just take those three. Think about what the likelihood is of Alabama not losing another game, Ohio State not losing another game, and Oklahoma not losing another game, because that's what you have to have happen for your biggest fear to become a reality. I'm a believer that the odds are overwhelmingly more so that one of those does fall 
then the odds are that none of them fall. To, to me, really the real big mistake people are making at the moment is they've eliminated teams that aren't really eliminated. Ole Miss is not eliminated from this, guys. Ole Miss has one loss. If Alabama lost the Iron Bowl and Ole Miss didn't lose another game, Ole Miss would go to the SEC title game. That's how close Ole Miss is. If they don't lose another game, that's how close they are to playing for a conference championship and possibly playing for a spot in the playoff. Cincinnati's right there. I believe, given what I just told you, and the unlikelihood of all those things panning out, I think there's going to be a spot open for Cincinnati. As long as they win all their games, I am still a believer Cincinnati's going to be in. That alone would break the glass ceiling that a lot of you think has existed and really hasn't. There just hasn't been a G5 team worthy of a playoff spot. Well, they would be now. And so that alone would obviously be a really huge deal. Uh, Michigan is undefeated. Of course, you cannot eliminate a team that's undefeated in the Power 5 Conference right now. I think people have written Oregon off way too early. I was talking to someone last night. You know, here's a little scenario to just keep in the back of your mind. I know some of our Doug fans have already started to pose this scenario. There sits Oregon, a one-loss team. But because they have not looked good lately, you've kind of dismissed them. One loss in the Pac-12. We don't think the Pac-12 is good enough. You get the whole picture. Well, that's not the way that you judge this. The way you have to judge it is in any individual year. Oregon right now, at least in the AP, is number seven. Let me tell you what they have coming up. They got Colorado at Washington, Washington State at Utah, Oregon State, and then potentially Pac-12 championship game. They will, of course, be favored the rest of the way. That doesn't mean they'll win all the games, but they'll be favored the rest of the way. Their only loss is an overtime loss to Stanford. They have, and here's where you really need to pay attention, They have a win over Ohio State on the road. So here's the question. What happens if the final spot in the playoff, or if a spot in the playoff, comes down to a one-loss Pac-12 champ Oregon, a one-loss Big Ten champ Ohio State? Well, guess what's supposed to matter, folks? What's supposed to matter is head-to-head. And they didn't play at a neutral site. They didn't play in Phoenix, Arizona. Oregon went to Ohio State and beat them there. Now, I told the person I was talking to on the phone last night I think Ohio State would still make it in, whether you think they deserve it or not. What would happen is the committee, I think, would look at that and they would say, yes, it's true, Oregon beat Ohio State on a neutral field. But it looks like Ohio State's remaining schedule was that much more difficult because they have that many more ranked wins over teams than Oregon does. And, and I have no problem with the first part, here's the problem I'd have. The second part would be, we believe they're a better team today. Let me tell you something. Folks on that committee have no business telling you who the better team is in their opinion. It needs to be decided on the field. I'm all about power ratings, but I'm all about merit as well. But I'm telling you, independent of what I think, that's the way that would shake out, in my opinion. But if Oregon doesn't lose another game, and there are some other dominoes that fall, maybe that's a mute point, as I like to say, a mute point. I mean, Is Iowa out? If Iowa doesn't lose another game, they're a one-loss Big Ten champ. Are they out? Presumably, they would have a win against Ohio State maybe in the Big Ten championship game. I don't know that you can rule them out. I don't think you can rule Notre Dame out. I mean, there are several teams here. But what happens when Pitt's a one-loss ACC champ? There are all kinds of different scenarios. So my point is, everyone thinks this has already been narrowed down to five or six teams. It hasn't. There are double-digit teams still very much alive for a playoff spot. I don't know if it's necessarily the last several years playing mind games with you or something like that, but it's not the last several years. And if anyone thinks that the upsets are done, if anyone thinks we have settled into a routine, no, November, late October and November, those are the routine breakers. 
because that's where the high wire gets too high above the street where the consequences, if you fall, are catastrophic. Some people can deal with that pressure. Some people can't. Look at these teams. Look at Ohio State. Look at Bama. Look at Oklahoma. Much less Cincinnati and the like. These are teams with a bunch of young players who have never been in this position before. So I'm not going to be the one who assumes they're just going to cakewalk their way right to a playoff spot. I'm not assuming that. Seth is next up. He has a very important question, one of the most important questions of our time. I'm going to give you the question, and then I'm going to toss to the ad break so that you can marinate on it for about 30 or 45 seconds, however long they're making these ad breaks these days. I'll tell you what the most ridiculous thing is, is when I go back and listen to my own podcast, and the ad break is me. It's me reading an Academy Sports ad read. Now, even I would think that's ridiculous, and I'm me, so I can only imagine. I don't know what ad break's coming up. I'm just telling you. That's how I would feel. So anyway, here is Seth's question. Very important. Let me read it slowly. Why do you hate parlays so much? Oh, Seth. Oh, sweet, sweet Seth. I will be more than happy to answer and change your life in the process for the better and for your future children's own good right after this. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So Seth wanted to know what many of you need to know, and that is why do I hate betting parlays so much? Let me explain it to you in basic mathematical terms. Okay, sometimes on Late Kick we do a padlock stat alert. Well, I'm giving you basic math alert. You don't even need to pull out your iPhone calculator to do what I'm about to do. What, are, what is our goal? I mean, let's just clearly state for everyone in the room, what is your goal when you're betting? Your goal, most of you, is not to lose money. Well, that shouldn't be your goal. Your goal is to win money. You shouldn't be relieved when you push. You shouldn't be relieved when you don't lose. That is psychological ploy number one. The sports betting industry plays on you. You actually get convinced it's a win for you if you just don't lose money. No, it's a win when you win money. So that's the first thing. They already have the edge on you. The second edge, obviously they have, is the VIG, juice, whatever you want to call it. That's why you need to hit it a 52.4% clip in order to make money instead of just going 50-50. Now that we've acknowledged, though, that our goal is to win money, I need to ask you one more ratio-based question. Simple bankroll ratio here. Is $1 to $2 the same thing as $1 million to $2 million? And the answer is yes. Is $5 to $10 the same as $5 million to $10 million? The answer is yes. 
those two numbers, those two dollar figures scale proportionately. The other is twice as big as the first one. This is the single biggest misconception in sports betting. A lot of you out there don't even define a set bankroll to start with. And then secondly, even if you do, you start betting money on the side, which is a no-no. But you start doing it via parlays. For those of you unfamiliar, a parlay is the thing where you have to hit every part of the bet for the bet to win. Now, it's very juicy because you bet $10 and you risk 10 to win like 115 And so that looks great. It's only 10 bucks, right? No, it's not only 10 bucks. It's part of your bankroll. That's what it is. It is a chunk of your bankroll. We are working on margins so thin that even the best in the world have to properly manage their bankroll. There is no wiggle room. That's why it makes no sense to pay for picks, by the way. You don't have the spare collateral because you have to walk such a thin margin because odds makers are so good at making numbers so tight that it's very hard to win. 96% of people who bet sports lose long-term because it's so hard to win. If you don't understand the principle that you can never throw away a single dollar, then you're already on the track to losing money long-term. But that's not the way the mind of a typical sports better works. The 96%ers tell themselves, I can afford to put 10 random dollars on a parlay over here. Yeah, in that moment, you probably can't afford to. What you can afford to do is have that mentality Because that mentality doesn't stop when the sun goes down. How many of you out there have ever bet one parlay? I mean, maybe a couple of you are raising your hand. That's, you know good and well that's not the way it works. And if you add up that money over the course of a season, then guess what happens all of a sudden? You didn't just bet $10. You bet $175 or you bet $310. Or some of you ended up betting over $1,000 because you end up putting one parlay in, then three, then four, then six. And the worst thing that can happen is what happened to me. If you can't tell, I'm speaking from experience. 14-year-old JP, not even old enough to get a learner's license, but I was old enough to open up an offshore sportsbook account. Worst idea ever. So here's what I did. I opened my account, and all of a sudden, guess what? Prominently displayed right there on the front page is how to bet a parlay. You ever notice that, guys? Especially those of you who live in states where sports betting is legal. You notice those commercials? You notice what's featured prominently in every one of those commercials? You notice what's boosted on the front page of every one of those sports books? Parlays. Parlays. It's almost like they want you betting them, right? It's crazy how that works. Anyway, little JP found parlays his first day. And that wasn't the worst part. The worst part is I hit two four-team parlays. On the same day, I put 20 bucks a piece. It was 10 to 1 return. And so I won 400 bucks over the span of a couple of hours on one random Sunday afternoon. And I thought I had discovered the secret to success. I never thought I was going to have to have a job. I mean, I'm 14. I'm, I'm this ignorant. I really thought that's how easy it was going to be. And here was the other part. I figured, wait a second. If this returns 10 to 1, I don't even have to hit one every week. I mean, think about that. All I have to do is hit one one out of every nine times and I'll be profitable. Because if the return is 10 to 1, as long as I hit one one out of every nine times, then I'll be making money. It's so easy, isn't it? Until it's not. Now, here's why it doesn't make sense. You're never supposed to think this deeply about it. But trust me, this is not deep thinking. This is uh, pretty basic math. Your odds, if we're going to assume that the odds making industry is good at what they do, Your odds of hitting any one bet, just straight up, your odds of hitting Auburn minus two and a half or Ole Miss plus two and a half this Saturday, it should be 50-50, right? Roughly 50-50, about one to one. Your odds of winning that one bet, theoretically 50-50. Again, if you have a little angle on something, you may give yourself a little edge, but in general, broad strokes purposes, your odds of hitting that better 50-50. Okay, what about two teams at the same time? 
a two-team parlay. If your odds of hitting one bet are one in two, then your odds of hitting two bets at the same time is what? It's one in four. Again, broad strokes. I know the numbers can shift slightly. Your odds of hitting that would be one in four. Your odds of hitting three teams, guess what it would be? It goes from one in two to one in four to one in eight. Are we following? I think we're following. This is all pretty simple. Well, what about four teams? Your odds of hitting that, it goes from one in two to one in four to one in eight to one in 16. Now, I want you to think about it. You 14 parlay betters out there, it, it scales proportionately. So the same principle applies with three, with two, but a 14 parlay, the odds we have just calculated using our hands that the odds are roughly 16 to one that you hit any 14 parlay. Does any book out there on the planet offer 16 to one payout? No. In fact, if you're getting 12 to one payout, you're getting a really good return. That is actually, as parlay payouts go, a really good payout. It's a loser. Even the best, they make losers. If your odds are 16 to one and the max payout you're getting is 12 to one, guess what that makes you long-term? It makes you a loser. There is no way around the math, guys. You don't become the exception. You don't get hot. I know some of you have hit these. You're supposed to be able to hit them every now and then. I said the odds are 16 to one, not 16 million to one. Yeah, you're talking to someone who hit two of them the first two he ever bet. Then guess what I did? I threw away thousands of my parents' dollars, really, over the next few years trying to chase it again. And I'd hit one every now and then. That's not the way it works. It's not the way math works. So you can either be humble enough to accept those numbers, or you can be ignorant enough to think you're going to be the exception to literal math. Now, what do you think is more likely? There's also the third possibility, and I know it's happening right now as you're listening. One or two or 500 of you think, well, you've got a different system worked out. Yeah, I just went through the typical way you bet parlays. But Josh, sometimes I'll throw a money line in there at plus 280, and so it kind of throws off your numbers. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It gets a little more complicated for me to break down those numbers, but I can assure you, you are not betting any parlay in any shape, form, or fashion where you give yourself a statistical greater than one-to-one -one shot of making money against Vegas. In fact, you won't even get parlays down to one-to-one. -to -one. It, it will actually be greater odds than that. So you will never give yourself a statistical edge in parlays. You can give yourself, if you are very disciplined and very skilled, and understand how to shop lines, you can give yourself a statistical slide edge if you're betting games straight. That's why that's all we do. We bet games straight, and I'm also a believer in two-team seven-point teasers in NFL playoff situations because I believe the style of play and tightness of lines in the playoffs is the one time where you can weaponize Las Vegas against itself. But even then, you need to have good teaser odds. I had a local in Columbus that offered two-team seven-pointers at minus 110. Yeah, at that point, I don't care if pushes lose. That's a really, really good value. But anyway, that is my long and short diatribe on the evils of parlay betting. And even though a lot of you were nodding your head and it made sense to you now, you're going to get there at 11.58 Eastern time on Saturday morning. And there it is. Those parlay returns, they're just going to be too good to pass up. And you look at it and you're betting 20 a pop and you say, okay, I can either bet these games for $20 individually and only stand to win $18.18, which is nothing, or... I can bet $10 on a bunch of these parlays and win 120. All I got to win is one. Let me just bet six or seven of them. And if I win one, then I made $50. Have at it, buddy. Have at it. I wish you the best of luck. That's what you're going to need because math is never going to be on your side. So you will literally need a lifetime of luck. 
I'm sure you'll be the exception to the rule. Go for it. All right. Now that I have spoken in such an insulting manner, it's really not insulting because I insulted myself. I'm the one who was the case study. I'm the one who went broke at 14 years old. So just learn. You don't have to learn all lessons in life the hard way. It's a big myth. Yeah, you got to learn lessons the hard way. No, you don't. No, you don't. How many of you have actually ever put your hand on a hot stovetop? Some of you have. Most of you haven't. I have not. You know why? Because I have heard the stories of people who have. I have seen my cousin do it. I don't have to do it to know it's going to hurt. Don't bet parlays. Don't be that guy or girl. Just know it's going to hurt your wallet. Your wallet will just cry and weep. And there's a reason we call it the Ramen Noodle Express. We are trying to keep you from being on a diet of ramen noodles. But I, even I can't help you if you're betting parlays. So you're a lost cause at that point. So I've spoken my piece, and I hope you heard every word. All right, got to send this to Jordan to get chopped up. Thank you so much. Make sure you are five-star reviewing this podcast, and make sure you are telling friends about it. I know you are, because there is no possible way we could be rocketing up these charts if you weren't, because I know we haven't paid any to market the podcast. So thank you, because you guys are the literal engine on which this thing runs. So thank you so much. Until next time, we got Late Kick Live tonight, so make sure you're tuned in. Until then, for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great Tuesday, and God bless. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.